Welcome to the Law of Startups podcast. I'm Mike Schneider. And I'm Joe Wallen. Thank you for being here. Today, our guest is Paul Hammond. He is the founder and CEO of Ombatron, a company in the Internet of Things space. Paul, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. So tell me about your thing. Tell me about Ombatron. <laughs> so Ombatron is a platform for the industrial Internet of Things. Uh, we make it easy to, for companies to bring new products to the Internet of Things. Um, now, people often are not familiar with the Internet of Things, uh, so I'll, I'll talk a little bit about that. Um, most people are familiar with the Internet of Things by connected products like um, Fitbits or uh, Nest thermostats or that little button you get from Amazon that you press when you run out of detergent. Um, you know, they're, um, and those are all great examples of the consumer Internet of Things. Wait a minute, time out. So there's a button you can like put on your dishwasher or... Oh yeah, yeah. It's at yeah. Amazon Dash, right? It connects to okay. your home Wi-Fi, and it's got a little, you know, you 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 buy one, and you you know, you press the button, and like you know, two days later, more detergent shows up. <laughs> it's, a, it's a button That's specific excellent. to a specific yes. item. It's not like yeah. you. Can, it only does one thing. You push the button, and two days later, your detergent arrives. Is it is it like is it branded? Is it just for Tide, or is it? Uh, they have each each button is branded. It's not like detergent. It's like. Tide or whatever, and they have they've got buttons for all sorts of consumables. Yeah, they're also doing some some interesting like API stuff. The same technology that they're using to power these little tiny like um, I don't know little buttons. It's basically just a little button on a on a chipset. But uh, they also have some technology that they're licensing to folks to put into things like coffee makers. So like um, so you could have like a, a Keurig coffee maker or something like that that keeps track of how many cups of coffee you've made and when it realizes you're getting low on coffee it can just automatically reorder the coffee and then it yeah. just charges at your Amazon account so you're just like never have to think about reordering that's a wonderful idea well I took you off path no so. actually that, that's perfect that uh, that segues right into the difference between the consumer and uh, the industrial internet of things so the consumer internet of things these are great examples um, the uh, uh, you know, all those examples I gave, they connect to your home Wi-Fi network or your phone's Bluetooth. Right. And uh, they're generally run and owned by the person who bought the device. So that's, that's, those are consumer devices. Now, there's an entirely other class of uh, company that uh, wants connected devices. And those are mostly companies that are selling a service. Um, uh, like, for instance, it could be a coffee company that... You know, keeps uh, keeps uh, keeps you keeps your company, your office, stocked with coffee. And this Keurig, uh, this little Keurig thing that you know counts the number of cups that are used, and you know, so so you know when to bring other things. The company, uh, the you know, your your law office here, you know, would have one in it, but it wouldn't be owned by you. It wouldn't be run by you. It would be run by your supply company, the company you contract with to keep your uh, larder stocked. Right. Um, so those have some interesting challenges and uh, because they're owned and run by a company that is not the company where they're deployed, right? So, you know, Bob's uh, Coffee Supply is supplying uh, 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 coffee to uh, Carnegie Bell Spellman, um, but they don't control the network here. So they need to get the information off of their little device and into the internet where they can do something useful with it. Right. So the, the challenge there is 
well, now they have to talk to your IT department to make sure you, they get on your uh, on your network. Well, well, there's another problem with that. So the other problem with that is, um, you know, first of all, it significantly increases the cost of initial setup. And if you're doing it in a highly regulated environment, like say, for instance, a hospital or a government building, um, then you will not only have this problem once, but every time there's a new CIO, every every time there's a network audit, every time you know their network policy changes, your device is going to be kicked off the network, and you're going to have to go back in and uh, and deal with them. Hmm. So um, you know, the Internet of Things is all about getting data off your thing and into the internet where you can do something useful with it. Um, and that's what we at uh, Ombatron specialize in. We're kind of like FedEx for data. We make sure it gets there. Okay. So um, part of our platform is yeah. a, little, uh, a little gateway that you can plug sensors in or a serial port in or Ethernet or whatever, and it connects directly to the cellular network. You never have to worry about local connectivity issues. You never have to worry about, um, you know, connecting to the, the the local network or network policy because you are you're you're connected directly to the cellular network and the data flow directly into our platform. And you can either write to applications on our platform or send it on to another platform uh, that you like. Okay. So that's uh, that's kind of what we do. You know, it makes sense. A lot of people want something like that, but. You know the challenge of having to engineer it is probably not uh, not something that they if they can hand that off to somebody else that that'd be a, a nice way to accelerate development. So do you guys you guys have a platform that you sell? So people say I want to make a certain application, I'm going to buy uh, you know boards from you guys, or or do they come to you for more like a consulting solution where you'll create the create the device for them using your your platform? So right now we sell uh, our hardware. Um, and uh, and uh, and our platform uh, through consulting uh, arrangements. Um, that's uh, that's what we're doing now. Uh, moving forward, we we intend to be much more open uh, and you know, to be able to uh, develop things on our hardware and our backend platform very much the same way as uh, Amazon Web Services do, uh, does. Right. Um, so how the, does how does the um, the data work on the on the cell phone connections? I've, I've looked at things like that because I'm, I'm a bit of a hacker and I like to, to you know work with electronics and things. And so I've looked at things where you use like a, a cellular modem to communicate data. And it looks like usually you have to have some kind of like a prepaid SIM card or some kind of data plan. Do you, are your customers operating at such a scale that they just get a normal cell phone plan and they put those into the, each of the of the devices, or do you do you have a, a way of handling that? Um, like, so, is it all prepaid cards or I'm just thinking about it from a practical, you know, hacker standpoint. Like, how do you how do you connect to those cell phone towers without having to have a bunch of cell phone plans? So um, we help. Uh, we solve this problem uh, uh, by we're partnered with a MVNO mobile network. Uh, mobile virtual network operator. So they basically aggregate bunches of different carriers and sell, uh, sell the data through them. So because we're partnered with um, uh, one of these carriers, or one of these uh, uh, MVNOs, we can actually connect uh, a, a piece of hardware in over 180 countries uh, uh, for over 200 carriers. So basically, you turn it on, you don't have to worry about it. It figures out what network to connect to. It connects to it. 
and uh, you don't have to think about it. You don't have to think about negotiating contracts with you know 300 different uh, or 200 different carriers, um, or figuring who has the best footprint where you're deploying. You just turn it on, and it uh, it figures out. And um, you can uh, you know our customers can if they're like say for instance if all of their uh, uh, customers are going to be in the United States and they already have a good deal with uh, one of the uh, main carriers, we don't care. Go ahead, do that. But uh, in general, we get pretty, uh, we get much better rates that, uh, from the MVNO and directly from the carriers that we can pass on to our customers um, and make it, uh, make it super easy for them. That's great. What, what, made you, what made you decide to go into this business? Tell us about sort of the origin story and how you, how you uh, started things out. Well, the origin story is uh, has a little bit to do with my background. Um, so, uh, for my entire career, I've worked for nothing but high scale internet startups, and I've been doing it for since before there was such a thing as a web browser. So, I've been doing it for a while, um, and you know, when I say high scale, you know, my the the first Silicon Valley startup I worked for was a little company that. Um, uh, allowed you to send and receive email through web browsers. Uh, it was called Hotmail. Um, and then um, they got acquired by Microsoft. And uh, uh, then I went on to my next company, which uh, I helped them scale to terminate more actual real phone calls than uh, a, a, a medium-sized Midwestern city. And they, uh, they were voice recognition on the phone. They were telling me networks. And then they were acquired by Microsoft. And, um, you know, so, uh, so two two companies each acquired by Microsoft. Yes. Well, then the next one was a, a natural language processing. You know, and I built the built their network for them, um, and uh, you know, designed them to scale to billions of uh, uh, of users. And then they got acquired by Microsoft. <laughs> so that's three in a row. That's pretty good. Yeah. I, I put you in some kind of special, unique category. <laughs> uh, yeah. So um, that was all done in Silicon Valley. Um, and um, you know the, all, all those I worked for them. You know I had never done uh, a startup, and uh, then I moved here to uh, Seattle, and I said, okay, it's it's time for me to do a startup. Now, what is, you know, what's I'm really good at making things scale. What can I do? What's the next big thing? Well, the next big thing um, is you know clearly the Internet of Things. I mean, if you look at Cisco's uh, projections that are backed up by like Gartner and uh, the other uh, uh, analysts, you know they they're, they they have projections of uh, creating trillions of dollars of value in the next decade. Like you know, when I say trillions, I'm talking like. Cisco's projection was uh, $19 trillion worth of value uh, by 2021. That's five years from now. Um, What's the size of the global economy? <laughs> uh, you know, they're, they're, they're kind of silly numbers, but, you know, if they're even, uh, if they're, if they're even only off by, uh, you know, uh, a thousand times, it's still a $19 billion economy. Um, but, um, you know... It, you can start to see the explosion in connected devices and, and you start to begin to get an idea of it. And um, the, the, the quote that uh, I like to trot out uh, for this um, is, you know, trying to compare the, the market size for Internet of Things right now is kind of like trying to compare, them, uh, is trying to talk about the market size for plastics in 1940. Nobody had any idea that it would be in everything. And that's where we're going. You know, that's what we're seeing with the Internet of Things. 
you know, we're seeing connected light bulbs, connected, you know, buttons you can press to order more soap. I mean, right. you know, it, the, it, the um, uh, you know, everything has become connected because it is so inexpensive and easy and valuable to do so. Yeah, there's an analogy I've seen on the web. There's a there was a blog post a while back by a guy named Benedict Benedict Evans, and uh, he he kind of analogized uh, the Internet of Things to to sort of the um, if you look back 50 years or 60 years, a typical person could probably have listed all the motors that they own. They have one in their car. There's a motor, you know, I guess in in their lawnmower, um, and then over time, it's gotten to the point where motors are in so many things. Uh, at the present day that you, you really probably couldn't even list them all. You just, they're just in everything. You don't even think about it. And the same thing is true to some extent of uh, network connections. And so like it used to be that your computer had the network connection and then maybe your phone had a network connection. Um, and it's getting to the point where, uh, you know, probably in 10 years, there'll be so many network connections in your house. It may already be there that you probably couldn't even list them all. Um, you know, so many different things connecting to the network. And that would be, you know, what you guys are working on seems like it's pushing things in that direction. More, more uh, connections uh, in, in more places. Um, yeah, it's, it's kind of an interesting way to think about it, that it's um, uh, network connectivity is going to be so pervasive in the next 10 years or maybe even to some extent already that it'll just be, um, I think that that's kind of the core of what the Internet of Things is, right? That's, that's the, let, let's talk a little bit about what, what we mean when we talk about the Internet of Things because I think, you know, it's a it's a big concept and maybe means different things to different people. Um, so, what do you think about when when you're thinking Internet of Things? Is it about network connections in various places, or or um, bringing the internet to to devices that otherwise don't have the internet? Like, what do you, how do you think of it? The way I typically uh, describe it when somebody asks me, you know, what is this Internet of Things? It, I say it, um, you know, if you take things that are connected to the internet and remove phones, tablets, and computers. That's the Internet of Things. So things you don't typically consider a phone, a tablet, or a computer. Um, it's a thing. The, you know, an S thermostat. Yeah, okay, it's a, it's, there's a little computer in there, but you don't think of it as a computer. You think of it as, you know, it's a thermostat. Um, you know, that, uh, that little button you press to get more soap. That's, uh, that's a thing, right? Um, uh, your uh, weather station outside that uh, you know, lets you know what the outside temperature is. So you know, you know, do you want to put on a sweater or a, or a coat in the morning? That's a thing. Um, um, it's a, it's you know, it's it's very at the moment. It's it's amorphous. It's uh, hard to define because a lot of it doesn't exist yet. It's kind of like people saying, you know, you know, what's this internet thing back in nineteen. Uh, uh, you know, uh, eighty nine. Like there, it, it was there, but it was you know, it was a few hundred computers. Um, so it was hard to see the uh, the value and where it would be in uh, in a couple of decades. So when people build on your platform, uh, I mean, tell me about some of the things they do with the platform. So you collect data from devices all over the place, and then. That prompts like a reordering of supplies, or prompts a adjustment to a thermostat, or where do you, where do you? I mean, tell me some more about some of these examples of how people are using these tools. Uh, sure. So, um, 
I'll give you a, a, a couple of examples. Uh, so, for instance, one of the people we, uh, one of the companies we engaged with early on, manages septic tanks. Gotcha. Right? They go around and you know they uh, they have a contract with uh, landowners to go and just make sure it's in good working order and uh, and emptied on schedule. Well, you know their business as usual for them was to. Um, you know, uh, was to just send a truck around uh, once a week uh, on, a, on a schedule uh, to check them all because that's the only way they could do it. Um, as you can imagine, that burns a whole lot of gas and a whole lot of staff time. Right. So these uh, septic tanks already have sensors embedded in them that, uh, that let you know how full they are or if there's any problems. So by simply, um, by simply connecting one of our devices to these sensors, having it wake up once a day and send a little blip of, uh, of information to our platform, we can map out which septic tanks need emptying. We can generate um, uh, routes that, uh, uh, you know, that, are, that are optimal. It's like, okay, these, all of these septic tanks um, uh, you know, are 80% full or fuller and need to be emptied. So generate the route for uh, um, for you know, for Bob's truck. Um, so that's you know that is a very easy to understand um, uh, application of uh, high value, low volume data. Right? Mm -hmm. These things send like you know a few bytes per day. Right. Um, uh, so that's 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 one easy example. So, but. We're a platform. We're not going after any particular uh, market vertical. Another one is uh, uh, commercial refrigeration monitoring for companies like uh, grocery stores, restaurants, large event venues, um, uh, for cold chain management, you know, making sure that the food stays cold because refrigerators uh, often have uh, problems that are not obvious, right? If um, uh, by um, you know, local all local uh, health regulations stipulate that uh, the refrigerators be kept under forty one degrees. Um, but you know that's not always the case, and they um, right now they have to uh, in they have to log the refrigerator as uh, uh, or the refrigeration temperatures um, on a daily basis, and so they send some guy every four hours or so to do that and they fill out this thing called the uh, uh, the HACCP log hazard analysis and critical control points. So, you know, some guy has to do this um, and if they don't do that, they get dinged by the health inspector, so that's, uh, that's a cost. Um, and if they, the other thing is they don't do it at night, right? So if there's a power failure at night or somebody leaves the, uh, the fridge door open, nobody knows. So there's uh, there's an entire you know there's an entire industry about uh, uh, for refrigeration uh, monitoring and we kind of have a little edge there because with us you don't have to worry about the local connectivity um, you know if you were starting a commercial refrigeration monitoring company and decided to do it uh, on local Wi-Fi well yeah you could do that you can connect your Raspberry Pi or whatever to some sensors and plug it into the refrigerator. But now let's say you're really successful. Well, now you have 10,000 customers. How many IT departments do you want to deal with? 10,000 or one? Um, uh, so it's, um, you know, connecting things to Wi-Fi is often 
more expensive in total cost of ownership than using a cellular connection. Um, I could go on at some length uh, on, on, on different uh, use cases. Yeah. Uh, so. Wow, it's, it's really exciting. Mike, what does this make you think about? <laughs> yeah, so many I, different things, right? Yeah, it's can, a, there's there's a lot of ways to, um, you know, just keep track of stuff. There, it, there's um, it strikes me that there's just sensors. It's all about sensing what's happening in the world wherever it's happening without human humans having to look at it. Seems like that's uh, you're bound to see more and more sensors and more places all reporting. What about predictive analytics? So, say you drop a bunch of sensors. Uh, I mean, say say you want to open up a new retail store, ah, okay, and you're thinking, ah, oh, gosh, I really want the best location, and uh, so maybe I drop a bunch of sensors around the city. Maybe I don't even have to ask people because they're small and no one might notice. Uh, kind of like stapling, uh, you know, concert, uh, you know, announcements up on telephone poles. But you could like probably drop these sensors in a variety of places and just count the number of people walking around. You do you, do what, do you, what do you see in terms of like people deploying these devices in public places without permission? Do you see anything like that, or do you, have you read about that? Uh, for for um, for monitoring public, uh, um, uh, yeah, actually. So uh, and this uh, uh, ch- uh, caused a change to uh, Apple's um, uh, development, uh, uh, you know, the way the the way the iPhone works. So. Um, there were uh, you used to be able to listen, uh, you know, set up a Wi-Fi access point, and just see what uh, see what local things try to connect to your Wi-Fi. Well, if you have an iPhone, it tries to connect to every Wi-Fi everywhere all the time, right. and so every every access point was getting the MAC address. The MAC address is a unique uh, identifier for uh, the uh, the Wi-Fi uh, chip on your phone. So they could, without your permission, without you knowing about it, uh, these people could harvest. They could say, "Okay, this this chipset is, uh, you know, this MAC address belongs to someone." Well, now that someone, you know, uh, goes around to other places, and like maybe they go to Starbucks, and there's uh, there's a a MAC address harvester there. Maybe they go to some high end jewelry shop, and there's a MAC uh, uh, address there. So now you can build up a profile just by where this MAC address has been, and you know it belongs to a person. You don't know who it is, but you know they have an iPhone. Uh, so that's that's uh, indicative right there uh, of you know a certain amount of income. You know. If you if you just pay attention to where this other MAC address shows up now, back in iOS nine or it might have been an iOS eight, Apple said, "Okay, this is not cool. We want all you know. We want to own all that data." Uh, so now they randomize the MAC address that uh, the iPhone send out. So you can't you can't do that anymore. So it was a big enough problem that uh, Apple and I believe now Android also does this MAC address randomization. Hmm. So. That's a, I think a long way of answering the question, but uh. yeah, it's a bit like um, the police departments using these like license plate readers. There's like devices that they can put out that just watch license plates as they go by to keep track of who's going where. You know, in just kind of a general fashion. Seems like uh, yeah, that kind of data collection is becoming more pervasive. Uh, oh yeah, uh, and if you want to, uh, if you want to get into examples like that. Um, at least down in the Bay Area, when they started, uh, or the San Francisco Bay Area, when they uh, started implementing uh, um, 
you know, uh, good to go style tolls for the bridges, um, they, uh, uh, the, uh, the police departments set up a whole bunch of uh, extra uh, readers. So now they know not only when you go over this bridge, but also when you pass underneath any number of these uh, other uh, RFID readers, um, which they set up all over the place. And it actually um, uh, really um, uh, made the company that was uh, that was actually doing the, the passes kind of uh, upset. And they actually mailed a little Mylar bag to everybody that had one of these and with an exp explanation that says, look, you know, these are set up everywhere else, so take it out of the bag when you uh, uh, when you want to go over uh, a bridge, but put it back in if you don't want to be tracked uh, anywhere else. You can put your so. tinfoil hat on. While yes, you're exactly. Your car, <laughs> you put your tinfoil hat on. You don't want your thoughts to be read by the government. Uh, yeah. So tell me a bit about the the business model. It sounds like you're you're working primarily in, on consulting projects now, probably because every pro problem is a little different. Um, is that how do you find customers for that? It, it, do you um, do people find you thinking I need to build this solution, or do you go approach people like a septic company and say, "Hey, did you know that we could solve this problem for you that you maybe didn't realize there was a solution for?" So um, mostly, people have found us um, uh, both through our manufacturer, uh, which was uh, serendipitous, um, and through our carrier partners. Mm -hmm. So. We're partnered uh, with a couple of the big four carriers here in the states, and uh, you know, often you know, a company will go to uh, one of them and say, "Hey, I want to build a widget that does this," and uh, they they say, "Oh, well, have you talked? Have you have you heard of Abitron? And uh, so they, we get referred. Uh, uh, we get referred there. But uh, one thing we weren't expecting is. Contract manufacturer, our, our our main contract manufacturer, which was up in Woodenville, um, um, he has people come to him all the time and say, "Hey, I want to build a widget. Will you design it for us?" Um, and uh, several times he's uh, he said, "Oh, well, you know, have you thought about having this connected to the internet, um, you know, to provide telemetry?" And the answer has often been, "Well, yes, we'd like to do that, but we think that would be very hard." And then. So they uh, they refer them to us and uh, and we build something uh, uh, to help them, which is uh, kind of cool. So uh, we you know uh, our 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 ideal customer right now is um, you know somebody who uh, wants a uh, a a web service built for them uh, that works pretty much anywhere they want that is integrated with their hardware that they're uh, that they're either building themselves or they uh, they use our hardware to be the core of their um, of their product like for instance if they were a uh, refrigeration monitoring company they just buy our hardware and plug some thermometers into it um, and then uh, write to, and we would help them develop on the back end a, uh, an application that they could then sell to their customers. Um, now that's that's where we are at the moment. Uh, we're moving pretty rapidly towards a do-it-yourself model, so um, you know we can scale faster than having to handhold everybody. Um, so we know that. Okay, so getting back to this question I had earlier, I mean, we know the government deploys devices all over the place to track people. Um, and obviously, private companies are deploying things to monitor their own equipment and this that, and the other thing. But, but what about 
I mean, I'm just curious, like, what do you, don't you think there's private companies probably just collecting data on a permissionless basis at a wide variety of places with these small devices? These are really small devices, right? Sure. Um, I, I don't know of any in particular that I could point to other than, you know, the things I've already said, but uh, it's yeah. easy. It's, uh, and it's easy and it's valuable. So if it's easy to do and valuable, you can be pretty sure that somebody's doing it, uh, uh, you know, with or without permission. Right. Well, I can think of people who are curious about economic trends. I mean, you want to collect economic data of a particular economy, and these might be great devices for collecting that data. Yeah. There was, uh, traffic, traffic in general. There was a recent, like, Wired article about uh, Andy Rubin, who used to be at Google, and he created uh, the Android platform and all that. And, and his, latest, um, his latest venture is all about... Know, like kind of internet of things objects so like like uh, devices that go out into the world and collect data and so like it, it, tapping into the kind of the conversation about collecting data and how valuable that is the the according to this wired article his his first product is supposed to be some kind of a dash cam that is internet connected that would be sold huh. either either given away for free or sold really really inexpensively uh, in exchange the company that provides it to you gets to collect all this data about what you're seeing as you drive around the world. So they're basically thinking if we give away free dash cameras to people and they upload to the internet, we can put, it'll be like having, I imagine in his mind, he's thinking it's, this is like having millions of eyeballs out in the world, driving around, collecting data about what's happening in the world. Um, right. So, I mean, he's, it's kind of scary in a way, but like, this is the vector of how, you know, all this information gets fed into the computers so that it can be processed and analyzed. Um, like right now there's kind of what's happening in the real world. If it's not on the internet, then it's kind of invisible to these like, you know, machine learning algorithms and, and, um, and various, various data processing methods. So, so like, I think there's just this push to think, okay, well we need to figure out how to get eyeballs and, and, and microphones to hear things in all these various places that aren't already connected to the internet. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Well, it's, uh, it's step step one towards Skynet. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's certainly exciting because if you think about it, you'll save a lot of energy and fuel. You know, just enabling basically little robots to send information rather than having to send actual humans out to collect yeah, data. Yeah. The 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 one of the biggest value propositions of you know pervasive Internet of Things is simply efficiency, right? Like, you know, optimizing delivery routes because you know without going there what's necessary. Um, uh, Emptying garbage cans. Exactly. Exactly. It starts out with emptying garbage cans and finding out if the coffee machine needs more coffee and then it eventually moves to full information about everything that can then be used for, you know, so as, as it grows, you, you, the applications become a lot more kind of uh, in, like interesting and complicated. Like uh, if, you had a, if you had a camera in every car looking at what was happening in front of and behind, you could do all kinds of interesting analysis of like how many cars are on the road, how many people are out and about today. You know, what's the, it, it just seems like you could, um, you could run analytics on, on that data at a massive scale because there's just so many images of what's happening that day. Oh sure, but yeah. but it goes far beyond that. I mean, let's let's just uh, drill into the uh, the Andy Rubin, you know, uh, dash cam in every car thing. So now um, 
so you know the, these dash cams are, are will certainly come with GPSs uh, attached. So not only will they know what what you know what the you know what you can see out your windshield, but where you are. So well, now we have license plate recognition not just when you pass under uh, pass one of these uh, uh, cameras, but on all cars continuously forever. So yep. now it's in, in, instead in, instead of uh, in, instead of uh, point in time. I know exactly where you were at uh, 4:35. How fast you were driving? Uh, what car you were driving? Uh, if there's anybody else in the car with you, um, you know. Uh, we'll think you know, about if, if your hair that. was combed. <laughs> but not just like imagine you're Andy Rubin and you you own this company and you have a, a database that has all of this data from millions and millions of cars all streaming and they're all streaming the the time of day and the and the location. So then the police come to you and they say, okay, well, there was a robbery at this, at this address or, or, or uh, you know, bank robbery happens or something where they want to see what's happening. Or, or let's say there's a bombing and they want to go back and see a bunch of footage from a bunch of different angles to see what happened. They just go back to the database. They say, we want to see all the cameras that are within this tiny radius between these, this hour and this hour, or, you know, between this minute and this minute. And all of a sudden, it's like having uh, pervasive surveillance all over because, you know, if a car was in the, in the vicinity of it, it would be capturing uh, images from from different angles. So you you know all of a sudden, you know like there's a that the bombing that happened at the at the Boston Marathon. They could go back and be like, okay, well, you know what cars were in the area and pull up a whole bunch of of video. Um, it's pretty powerful. I mean, really yeah. powerful when you think about it. I mean, it's kind of a, a brilliant sort of idea. Uh, it's like you know he's thinking, how do I get as many cameras out to as many people as possible that will run them and send me data? And the answer is I'll give them to them for free and and uh, give them an application that would require it to be kind of out out in the world. Um, that's really powerful stuff. Like the more you think about it, um, yeah, fascinating. Well, I'm excited, Paul, to see how things develop. You've got to keep us posted on developments in the industry. I and mean, this is this has got to be one of the more exciting places to be. Oh, I agree. I agree. That's uh, that's why I'm here. Uh, it's um, uh, it is you know the internet the, the Internet of Things space right now is very wild wild westy it's yeah. kind of like uh, the internet in 1993 it's um, you know you could really start to see the potential um, you know the first web browsers were out there um, the first uh, you know regular consumers uh, uh, and not you know academic or governmental types were starting to trickle on and you know you could just get the hint of what it was going to become in the next couple of decades so that's that's kind of where we are now in, uh, in Internet of Things, and you know, uh, there are there are already more things connected than people. Yeah, they're running it's out of IP though. addresses, right? Did they did they solve that with the, the new like uh, what is it IP? Yeah, you know, they're IP they're completely version? out of IPv4 addresses, but uh, I think they got a ways to go on the IPv6 uh, addresses. Yeah, they solved that problem. I didn't see yeah. that coming. Um, yeah, well, this is uh, this has been really interesting stuff. Thanks uh, for, for sharing with us. How can people find out more about what you're working on? If somebody out there is looking for a, uh, a platform or some consulting to, to create something like this, you know, how do they get in touch? Uh, just go to www.ombitron.com. That's O-M-B-I-T-R-O-N. Fantastic. All right. Well, well, we'll look forward to updates and learning more about this industry as it develops. Yeah, thanks for being on the show, and thanks for everyone else for listening. We'll see you all next week. Thanks for having me.